to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. If it's one of your first times watching us on video, I, hi, I'm Kelly, and this is my husband, and we have a true crime podcast together. And um, in the year of 2024, one of my big goals is to produce more video content. And so if you're listening to us, you're probably familiar with this already. But if you're new to YouTube or our YouTube channel, um, we've got about 150 episodes, actually like 160 now. on Three million downloads, huge effing deal. <laughs> on Spotify and Apple. Um, and we're slowly migrating to include YouTube too. So if you are one of our Patreons, you're probably watching this before anybody because that is one of the benefits you get um, from being a Patreon is that these videos will be on Patreon exclusively for at least a month and then I will put them on YouTube. So if you, you also be- get dope stickers, you also get no ad ad free episodes. Mm-hmm. You also get extra episodes. You also get signed notes from Kelly every once in a while. You get a lot of cool shit. Yeah. So go to patreon.com slash mama mystery to figure out all the cool stuff to join all the cool kids. That's where the cool kids are. Word. All right. This episode, I am really eager to hear your opinions on this. So we're just going to dive right in. Okay? Oh, I got hat hair and this is the first time doing video. People are going to be like, he's got a face for radio. <laughs> No, Austin. I, I do cut Austin's hair, but um, it's just been a minute. Let's and do I this. need to cut it. So, all right. You ready? Let's go. Okay. Today, we're going to be talking about Megan Nichols. Okay. So, Megan Page Nichols was born on July 18th, 1998 in Evansville, Indiana, to her parents, Kathy Joe and Jackson Nichols. Kathy Jo was only 19 years old at the time, and looking back, she felt like her young age made it easier to have a strong bond with her daughter. They were super close, and in some pictures, they even looked like they could be sisters. But Kathy Jo always made it very clear that she was her mom first and her friend second. Kathy Jo and Jackson did not stay together, so for much of Megan's childhood, she was raised by her single mother, and Jackson moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. As a kid, Megan was bubbly, energetic, and joyful, which all came in handy when she tried out to be a cheerleader. And she was very active, very charismatic, participating in a slew of activities at school, from cheerleading to softball, volleyball, band, and countless other groups, including the Glee Club. Did your school have a Glee Club? Don't even know what that is. I didn't know what it was either. I mean, I know there's the show Glee, but I guess it's like a performative choir. So it's like a mixture between drama and choir, maybe? Okay. I don't know. I went to a pretty big school, and I don't think we had a glee club, but it sounds fun. So Megan went to Fairfield Community High School in Fairfield, Illinois, which is in southeast Illinois, about two hours from St. Louis, Missouri. Fairfield is a small farming community with barely a few thousand people. So it's known for that small town community, that tight-knit feel. Everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows everybody's business. So Megan was very active in her church. She went to First Baptist Church in Fairfield, which is where she sang in the choir, and she participated heavily in the church's youth group. But one could argue that whether she was at home or at school or at church, one thing stayed the same, which was her love for performing, especially to make people smile. She loved to sing. She just loved to have fun with her friends, and that's what everybody has always said about her. When Megan joined the Glee Club at Fairfield Community High School, she met a boy named Brody Murbarger. Brody was two, two years older than Megan. He had long blonde hair, and he was pretty popular at school. He was very smart, earning straight A's. He was very talented. He was a member of the Glee Club also, but he was also on the math team. 
and he was even in a four-way tie to become the valedictorian of his class, along with his best friend, Kyle Ellis. So girls swooned over him. When I was originally writing this, I was like, this isn't what you would typically, this isn't how you would typically describe you know, a popular boy that girls are swooning over at school, but he kind of broke the mold by being really, really smart, but also very charismatic. And he wasn't just like this introverted, very smart kid. You know how sometimes you can be like one or the other, or you can be a little bit of both. He was a little bit of both. I feel like you're describing like a Zac Efron in high school musical. I never saw that. But you get the gist of it. I never watched it either. But But was he smart in that movie? I don't know. I'm just saying, dude with long hair that was the star of the whole Glee Club and was the big deal. Yeah, I guess he did sing a lot in that movie, didn't he? When you say Glee Club, every Mm -hmm. time you say that, I keep thinking you're saying gleeking. Did you have people who gleeked in high school? Yes. I could never gleek. I can do it. I do it like like accidentally on people, and I think it's super. Like, who wants to do that? It's really weird that people can do it on on command. But I can't do it. I do it probably once a year on accident. Yeah, and I'm always like, shoot, how did I do that? Sorry about that. What did I do? So when Megan came home and she told her mom about this crush that she had on Brody, Kathy Jo reminded Megan that she was only 15 years old and she needed to just keep it casual, stay focused on her schoolwork, and not get distracted by boys. And so she said that they could still be friends, but at the end of the day, it didn't matter because Brody was already in a relationship with another girl named Kendra. So back at school, Megan still pursued Brody, despite knowing about Kendra and despite her mom and her friends all warning her against it. But in her mind, she had a good reason to pursue Brody because Brody was telling Megan that he wanted to be with her and that Kendra might be interested in him, but he was only interested in Megan. So he's stringing both of them along. We'll play in the field. Megan and Kendra were both aware of each other, but they never confronted each other about this. I don't even know if they really were aware of the extent that Brody was stringing them along. But regardless, during his senior year, Brody's mom passed away. And when it came time for prom, Brody ended up asking Kendra to go with him. But he reassured Megan that the only reason he asked Kendra was because it's what his mom would have wanted. And Megan believed him. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like a classic case of like, did you ever have kids in your school that like would fake cancer or like say like, oh, my parents, my mom has cancer and they do it for sympathy. And it was like, I feel like an asshole saying that, but it's so weird to think that people fake that stuff for attention. And obviously he wasn't faking, but you get what I'm saying. He's capitalizing on this sympathetic moment to be like, oh, let me play the field a little bit with this. Yeah. Sounds like what it is, at least. Maybe I'm seeing that wrong. No, you're probably right that he was using it as a way to manipulate girls to get what he wanted, to be able to still keep both of them on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at this point, everyone in Megan's corner, her friends and her mom, are all telling her that Brody is bad news and that he is just playing her. So Kathy Joe decided to put a stop to it all, and he she told Megan that she was no longer allowed to communicate with Brody, and she even told Brody, like, you guys are done. You're not talking to my daughter anymore. A few days later, after Kathy Joe put her foot down, Brody showed up at their house demanding to speak with Megan's mom. He said, look, you are way too controlling. You are concerning me, and I think you need to be on medication. Oh, man. So this was like... I get you're trying to tell us what happened, but it's a quick story. But, like, this was probably getting pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. 
If a mom's showing up at your house, like this is probably no. Brody showed up at Megan's house demanding to speak to Kathy Joe, saying, "You're way too controlling. You need to be oh, on medication. You got to listen." I heard this all backwards. <laughs> okay, well that's pretty crazy too. That's really ballsy. Probably crazier. I thought the mom showed up. My bad. No, <laughs> no. Um, so Kathy Joe basically responded saying, excuse me, she's 15 years old. I am her mom. I can tell her that she cannot date you. Damn. That's a bold move. Going and calling out the mom for being crazy. That's what I'm saying. Telling her to get medicated. Yeah. Oh, it gets I worse. was not listening. Go ahead. We're all shocked. Now they continued to exchange words as Brody tried to establish his dominance before he finally left. But shortly after he left their house, he texted Kathy Joe and said that he told his guidance counselor about Kathy Joe and how controlling and abusive she is towards Megan. He told Kathy Joe that Megan had told him about all the fights they'd ever been in. And he literally said to her, quote, they know what you're doing to your child and I don't want to get DCFS involved, but I will if I have to, end quote. Holy shit. Now, I do not think, for the record, after everything I've read and seen about this case, I do not think that Kathy would that Kathy Joe was ever abusive towards Megan. I think you have a teenage daughter who wants to be seeing this boy, and if the mom tells her that she can't, these hormones are raging and she's probably like, "You can't tell me what to do." And it's like Little Mermaid, Ariel's like, "You can't tell me who I can and can't love." And so there's going to be fights between a mother and a daughter, especially if a mother's trying to protect her daughter from somebody like this. Hormones raging over here and more hormones raging over here. And it just creates a combustion. Yep. So anyway, after he texted her that, Kathy Joe did not respond to the text. And then as the year drew to a close, Megan began, she began to change. She dropped out of Glee Club and band, and she started becoming more introverted, which was a stark contrast to her usual bubbly and outgoing self. And everyone, friends and family included, could see the change in Megan. Halfway into summer, it was 4th of July weekend in 2014, when Kathy Joe and Megan went to a friend's house to help them settle into their new home. Megan was in good spirits, acting like her normal goofy self, but then suddenly she began complaining that she wasn't feeling very good, and she asked if her mom would take her home. So Kathy Joe took Megan home, dropped her off, and then she went back to her friend's house to help her friend unpack. Later that night, just before midnight, Kathy Joe came home. And as she entered the house, nothing was out of the ordinary. She came into the kitchen to make herself something to eat. And while she was waiting for her pot of water to come to a boil, she felt this overwhelming sense of dread just come over her like a heavy blanket. And if you are a parent, especially a mother, you know this feeling because you've heard about it and you dread it. You hope you never have to experience it. But as a mom, you just have this like motherly instinct that you know something is wrong with your child. And that is what happened to her. So Kathy started looking all over her house, but Megan was nowhere to be seen. She went into her room, pulled back her blankets. She wasn't in bed like she wasn't like she was supposed to be. She was not there. So she started calling Megan's phone, but Megan wasn't answering any calls or texts. So Kathy went straight to the sheriff's department to report her daughter is missing. This is like the middle of the night. She was hysterical, pleading with the officer to help her find her daughter because something was clearly wrong. But the officer, as they so often do in cases like this, 
tried to reassure Kathy Joe that teenagers sometimes run away and that she should just go home and wait for her daughter to return, that she'd probably be back in the morning. So Kathy Joe and her mom went back to Kathy Joe's house to wait around, call around, looking for Megan and praying to God that she would just show back up without incident. Man, that would be such a scary feeling. Yeah. In the midst of her panic, Kathy Joe went back up to Megan's room to just look around for something, anything like a possible clue that might let them know where Megan is. She pulled back Megan's comforter on her bed and she found Megan's iPhone. But the case was missing from the phone, and when Kathy Joe tried to turn the phone on, she was surprised to see that it had been master reset. So, like, you know how you turn on your phone and it's like, hola, or hello, it's mm-hmm. like a brand new phone? That's what this phone was doing. So then Kathy Joe found an envelope with mom scrawled across the front, and inside was a handwritten letter by Megan. The letter read, quote, Mom, I love you so much, but I will never be able to be truly happy here. I'm sorry that this has to happen. Please don't look for me because you will waste a lifetime looking for someone who doesn't want to be found. Don't worry about me. I've spent the last 16 years taking care of you, and now it is your turn to take care of everyone else. Make sure grandma is okay. I'm sorry that I have to do this, and I hope you have a great life. No way. Her truly in her handwriting, Her she wrote it. Yes. So Kathy Joe has made comments that, yes, the handwriting was Megan's, but the words didn't seem like Megan. And to like kind of put a little dig in there, like, I've spent the last 16 years taking care of you, and now you need to take care of everyone else. She just knew, like, this doesn't sound like Megan. It's mm-hmm. like something is off. So now that Kathy Joe was armed with this letter, she went back to the sheriff's office to report Megan as missing. And one of the officers assigned to the case actually called Brody's dad, who happened to be a former Illinois state trooper, but he didn't answer. So they left a message. By 7.30 a.m., Kathy Joe and her mom drove to Brody's house, assuming that Megan might be with him. But when she got there, Brody was outside alone washing his car at 7.30 in the morning. Red flag. Yes. They asked him where Megan was, and he rolled his eyes as if he just like could not be bothered with this right now. And he said he didn't know where she was, but he knew that she didn't want to le- live with Kathy Joe anymore and probably went to live with her biological dad down in Tulsa. But this did not make any sense because Megan's dad had been out of the picture since Megan was a baby. And he had reconnected with Megan like within the last 12 months of her of her life. But it was more so Megan just forgiving him, saying, you know, I've, I still had a good childhood regardless. I'm happy that, you know, you've apologized for your absence. But like, we're good. Don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. So one of Kathy's friends told Kathy Joe to check her bank account to see if there was any activity. And when she did, Kathy Joe discovered that Megan had withdrawn all of her money from her personal bank account the day before. And when they reviewed the surveillance tapes from that ATM, they could see Megan riding her bike up to the ATM earlier the same day she disappeared and withdrawing about $200. Like a bicycle? Yes. That's she kind rode of her strange. bike. I mean, maybe. How old but is she? She was only 15. She was okay, like that's two not weeks. Strange. Yeah, she was only two weeks shy of her 16th birthday. Okay, that's not that strange. Yeah, and this is a very small town. So yeah. I think of it as like our nearest town that has like a few thousand people. It's not that strange. Right, okay. So once this information was brought to the police, they finally began their own real investigation. And what they discovered was a twist that few people saw coming. Now, I know you don't like it when I do this, but just hear me out because I said there's a twist and you're like, what's the twist? 
So as I mentioned earlier, Brody told Kathy Joe that Megan was likely on her way to Oklahoma to go live with her dad. So Megan's biological father, Jackson Nichols, was living down in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. So when police ran his background, they found that he actually had a warrant out for his arrest for not registering as a sex offender when he was charged with two counts of nonviolent sexual assault against a 14-year-old girl. When he was 18, this is like back in 1997. So this would have been a year before Megan was even born, but at the time he was allegedly dating this 14-year-old girl, her mom found out about it and chose to press charges. Weird. So if you've listened to Mama Mystery for a while, this story might be ringing a little bit of a bell as being eerily similar to the Plato case that we covered in episode 154. Now, in that case, Stephen Platel had given up his daughter for adoption when she was just a baby. Oh, and then they ended up having a love relationship. Yes, they reconnected. Freaking wild. Yeah, they reconnected when his daughter was a teenager. And when the two reconnected, they started a romantic relationship that ended up that ended in a triple murder and suicide. So it would make sense to make sure that with Jackson Nichols' background and it saying, hey, he's this unregistered sex offender with a warrant out for his arrest, that you would want to make sure that nothing's going on there and Mm -hmm. you'd want to clear him as a suspect, right? Well, that is what happened. After digging into the circumstances of his arrest, it was discovered that his case had actually been dismissed long ago, but that due to a clerical error, the paperwork was never properly submitted. So Jackson had been arrested and spent about a month in jail while Megan was missing before he was finally let out. And despite all of this, Megan's mom, Kathy Jo, knew deep down that Jackson had nothing to do with any of this. She suspected more so that this was all just a ruse by Brody to take the suspicion off of him. 100% agree. But deep down, her gut told her that Brody was way more involved than he was letting on. So as invest- The dude was washing his car at 7.30 a.m. It's weird. It's weird. As investigators continued their search, they strongly suspected that she had run away. She left the note. She withdrew the money. All these signs were pointing to a runaway situation. Regardless, they continued to dig deeper into this story. And when they did, they made some revelations about her and Brody's relationship. They discovered that Brody and Megan were exchanging, on average, about 150 text messages per day, and that their relationship was clearly sexual and not just a friendship. The messages also showed multiple discussions about Megan running away and Brody helping her plan it and possibly even going with her. So police brought Brody in for an interview. Now, Brody's best friend, Kyle Ellis, was planning on going to school to become a lawyer. So naturally, he told Brody, do not go talk to the police without a lawyer. But Brody went anyway, and he told police in his interview that he was hanging out with his girlfriend, Kendra, and the night Megan disappeared, once Kathy Jo started blowing up his phone looking for Megan, he decided to drive around looking for her. And when he couldn't find her, he said he returned to Kendra's house. Now, without much else to go on, unfortunately, Megan's case grew cold. Months turned into years, and by the time Megan's 18th birthday rolled around, it became painfully clear that she was not coming back. But everyone in this small community seemed to suspect the same person. They all assumed Brody had something to do with How this. How do you not want to just go whoop that dude's ass? Yeah, right. 
They all refused to believe that Megan was bold enough to just completely disappear and start a new life. And people looked at Brody differently after Megan disappeared. So he took it upon himself to post on his Facebook page, quote, okay, this has gone on long enough. I had nothing to do with this and I have nothing to hide. I am not in the video as she withdrew her money and ran from her family. This is the first time I have spoken up to defend myself. I shouldn't even have to defend myself if I am not involved. Well, maybe the pressure grew to be too much for Brody because he eventually moved out of Fairfield to Evansville, Indiana, which is only about an hour from Fairfield, but he moved in with his best friend, Kyle Ellis, and enrolled at the University of Southern Southern Indiana. Much bigger market, too. Kyle was pursuing his dreams to become a lawyer, and he and Brody had been best friends since they were freshmen in high school, and they saw each other as brothers. So anytime the allegations against Brody came up, Kyle was always very quick to defend him. Kyle believed that Megan likely ran away because she and Brody talked about it all the time. And he actually remembered back in April, just a few months before Megan vanished, that Brody offered Kyle $3,000 in exchange for all of his things, his guitars, his like gaming consoles, and his motorcycle. At the time, Brody was distraught from the loss of his mom, and he just wanted a fresh start, was saying he was going to ru- run away and just start a new life somewhere else. But Kyle also knew that Brody could often be a little melodramatic, so he didn't believe that if Brody was going to run away that he would stay gone. Megan, however, appeared to have followed through with the plans that they had made. So then on December 26th, the day after Christmas, 2017, a local farmer, Carl Vaughn, was out collecting firewood when something shiny caught his eye. Upon further inspection, he quickly realized that he was looking at a human skull that was emerging from a shallow grave. This farm was not far from Megan's home, so the moment that Carl realized what he was looking at, he knew deep down he was looking at Megan. This tight-knit community... How many years later is this? 2017? This is three years. This tight-knit community had been inundated with posters and stories about the search for Megan. She was very well-known, and... Sure enough, exactly one month later, on January 26th of 2018, the remains that were found in a blanket and buried in that shallow grave were confirmed to be Megan's. Oh, man. Megan's cause of death was ruled as a homicide since she was found buried. And now that she'd been found, it was time to figure out exactly what happened to her. The FBI assigned Agent Ray Hart to her case, and as he was reading through her files, one report caught his attention. He read Kathy Joe's account of searching for Megan the morning after she disappeared and driving to Brody's house that morning and finding him washing his car at 7.30 in the morning. I just got the goosebumps. <laughs> to drive away from the freaking farm that he was at burying her. Yeah. Yeah. It, there was probably dust on his car. Mm-hmm. And there was probably stuff inside his car that he was cleaning up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this agent also read statements from officers who approached Brody around that same time, and they all noted that Brody became very fidgety when officers approached the back of his car. So officers noted that there was a brown stain in the trunk of his Dodge Avenger. This dude kept the same car. Yeah. Well, wait. So this was when she disappeared. These police officers made a record, and he's reviewing these records from three years prior. So it just caught his eye that, like, something's fishy about this car. Mm-hmm. And so 
He also read that these police officers at the time, they ran field tests on the brown stain, but the field test came back negative for human blood. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't human blood. It just means that more extensive testing was needed. And even if it was mud, like, wouldn't that be sort of interesting? Yeah, yeah. So despite the fact that the field test was negative, Ray Hart was determined to find the car and examine it himself. But there was a problem. Brody's 2009 Dodge Avenger was totaled. No, it was totaled. After Brody wrecked it in 2016. So he did keep it for two more years after Mm -hmm. the fact. Brody alleged that he wrecked the car after he fell asleep at the wheel and wrecked it into a tree. And after the wreck, the car was sold to a salvage yard, and then it was sold to a couple in Missouri who wanted to fix it up and maybe sell it for parts, maybe use it. I don't know. But Agent Hart tracked that couple down, and thankfully, they still had the car. No way. And they agreed to let the FBI conduct more extensive testing on the trunk without a search warrant. And that was incredibly lucky because I don't know if they could have gotten a search warrant with it being so far past the time that Megan disappeared and with how many hands it had been through. Right. Can you imagine getting a phone call saying, hey, that vehicle you bought a year ago from a salvage lot previously to that was somebody's who we believe murdered somebody and we want to come look at it. Yeah. That's so nuts. That is nuts. So the FBI tested the lining of the trunk and then they also peeled back the lining to do more extensive testing under the lining. And the test revealed evidence of human blood and the samples they got matched Megan Nichols. Mm. Now with this new evidence, the agent went to Kyle Ellis, Brody's best friend and roommate. And they told him what they'd found and asked if he'd be willing to help by secretly prying for information out of Brody because Brody was unwilling to speak with any agents at that time without a lawyer. Dude's about to turn on his best friend. No, at first Kyle refused. He was like, I'm not turning on my best friend. I'm not going to betray him. He's my brother and you guys are on the wrong track. But then after a few nights of these sleepless nights running through all this DNA evidence, I mean, Kyle's studying to become a lawyer. He knows what this all means. Mm -hmm. After mulling over the DNA evidence for a few nights, he changed his mind and said, okay, I will help you. So Brody was out of town and Kyle, fearing what Brody could be capable of, decided to move all of his things out of their apartment while he was gone. And then when Brody came back, Kyle went to the apartment to talk to Brody while he wore a hidden wire. The show Dateline ran a story on this case, and they obtained the transcript from the interview that Kyle had with Brody. So Kyle asked Brody to tell him more about the night that Megan disappeared, and then he revealed to Brody that the FBI found his old car and discovered evidence of blood in the trunk. And Kyle asked him, why is her blood in your car? And Brody said, quote, that's a good question. I would like to know that too. Wouldn't she like to? Kyle kept probing and Brody just came out right, came right out and said it. He said, I did not kill Megan. Like he knew what Kyle was getting at. Kyle told Brody that they believed her manner of death was probably strangulation or suffocation based on her autopsy results. However, it was very hard to tell because it had been years past and she's very decomposed at that point. But Brody's response was chilling. He said, well, that makes me think that someone with anger issues probably found out about something that they didn't like and strangled her. Like, why would you say that Mm -hmm. about this girl that you have something to do with her disappearance and everyone assumes that you have something to do with it? That to me is saying like, 
you're admitting to it without taking the ownership. It's like of saying, it. I mean, you're literally saying, I found out about something I didn't like and strangled her, but you're just replacing I with somebody. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it wasn't a solid confession, but it was enough to give prosecutors even more reason to believe that Brody was responsible for Megan's death. And with that, Brody was charged with murder, concealment of a homicidal death, and two counts of home invasion and sexual offense. They believed that Brody likely killed Megan in a fit of rage and then hid her body to make it look like she ran away. When prosecutors presented this theory to the jury, Brody's defense team tried to explain away the blood that was in the trunk by saying that Brody had sex with Megan back there while she was on her period. I knew you were going to say that. I thought that's what he was going to say when um, his friend asked him about it. Yeah, that's interesting that like that's where anybody's mind would go. I knew you were going to say that because it's just like, oh, yeah, blood, that's how. Mm -hmm. We were in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a cop out. Well, nobody bought it, including the jury, and they found him guilty after only two hours of deliberation. On January 27th of 2023, Brody was sentenced to 50 years in prison. In memory of Megan Nichols, the Fairfield community raised funds to build a shelter within the love of Mike Park in Fairfield, as well as on the grounds of the New Hope School, where Megan was once a student before she went to high school. Man. Well, at least, like, the family got answers, got closure, as Mm -hmm. sad and horrible as it is, and got justice. Mm -hmm. Hopefully no parole. No possibility of parole from what I can, what I understand. I know he's trying to appeal it. I mean, they always do. Yeah. But um, if you're watching this on video, I've included mug shots and um, pictures. And if you're listening, it'll be on Instagram, right? Yeah. And if you're listening, it'll be on our socials. But um, it's, it always amazes me, these like little, and excuse my language, but like these little weasel dick boys that are capable of doing something like this. He looks scrawny. He looks weak. Like I just... It just amazes me that somebody like that is capable of killing somebody and then hiding them and then just going on about their life, living like normal. Like he was going to school for geology. It it is weird like how there's this theme of there's this theme of young guys being able to manipulate the heck out of young girls. And I don't know necessarily that's what happened here, but I mean he obviously had some sort of off-on relationship with her and was stringing these two girls along. And it's just like, I think it's a very vulnerable age, teenage years. And then you get these controlling idiots that What makes me especially sad about this case is the thought of Megan in the car when she knew she was in trouble and maybe was hoping that her mom could help her or maybe realizing everyone was right and I just want to go home. Right. You know, like that just breaks my heart to think that that's probably what happened. And and was he like trailing her when she was on her bike going to get all her money out? Like to think about the whole thing is really scary and sad. Like what was she what was she feeling? When was was he manipulating her and she was voluntarily going to get the money and meet him and then he got pissed and did it or did he you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just wondering how it happened. I don't know. It's just Right. Wondering what could have set him off to do that. Because mm-hmm. it seemed like they were in a relationship for a while and they Dude were had balls this going to her house and saying to the mom, you need to be medicated and all that. I mean, he was obviously a complete control freak lunatic. Right. There's definitely something some something that taps into the narcissism diagnosis mm-hmm. that makes me think there was definitely something deeper down that was 
evil and vile about him. And that was just kind of skimming the surface. But yeah, super sad. Super sad. So that is the story. Um, is the Dateline episode like informative? And Sorry, say that again. Is the Dateline episode like, did you watch it? Mm-hmm, I did. Was it informative and like a well-done documentary? Yeah, yeah, it always is. Dateline is always a great source, but there were some things that I found outside of the documentary that I included in this episode, like more details on Jackson, uh, Megan's dad, mm-hmm. um, that kind of almost swayed the investigation in another direction. And that could have been really bad if it, you know. If it would have caught on. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Kelly. Thank you. That's a sad one. Yeah. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.